trade-off between security and convenience. Something's very convenient, is very quick, very easy to use, it's not usually very safe. Something's very, very safe and it's not very convenient. Um, so if I were to walk around with say, you know, $2,000 cash in my wallet, hey, I can use that, very convenient. But it's visible, I can lose it, I can easily get robbed, not at all safe. If my wealth was tied up in gold bullion and is buried in a backyard somewhere, very, very safe, but not the least bit convenient. This is Bitcoin Basics Podcast with your host Ferris, that's me, and Gordon from Coin Compass. We're Bitcoin advisors and educators supporting business and individual investors to safely buy, manage, and control their private keys, Bitcoins. This podcast is strictly educational and is not intended to be financial or investment advice. Full disclaimer in the show notes and at the end of this episode. G'day everyone and welcome to another Bitcoin Basics podcast with your host, me, Gordon. And Faris, how's it going, Faris? Good, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Excellent. Now, just to timestamp this, it is Tuesday, the 4th of February, 2020, at a blockchain height of 6,615,896, 6, just for those people who don't understand how normal date and time works. So, Gordon, what's today's topic? Today, as the viewers and listeners would have noticed, is all about Bitcoin wallets. All right, let's get us started. Can you tell us what is a Bitcoin wallet, Gordon? Oh man, I was not prepared for that question. How dare you ask me that? (laughs) A Bitcoin wallet is, I guess, like a normal wallet in that you are able to send and receive But the difference with the Bitcoin wallet is that it's software. So you can send Bitcoin and you can receive Bitcoin. But that's probably where the analogy with a real world wallet actually ends. Now, we've had this conversation in the past and you don't actually like the term wallet. If we're up to you, what what would you describe it as? Or what example would you use for people trying to figure out what, what this is? Yeah, it's really a new concept that you're not actually storing Bitcoins in your wallet because when we look at a blockchain and you're interacting with a blockchain, so you want to send or receive Bitcoin, you don't actually store anything in your wallet. You simply store the access or what we call the private keys, the passwords, to be able to send and receive. So a better analogy is probably a key ring. So you've got a bunch of keys on the key rings and those keys unlock certain Bitcoin transactions in a vault or however you want to think of it, but they unlock the ability to spend and receive Bitcoin. Okay. So a Bitcoin wallet is like an address. Can we use the analogy of maybe an email address? Sure. So we can think of two things. We can think of an email address or a username that is your bitcoin address or what is called a public address and that's obviously something even like your bank account that you can share with everyone so it doesn't really matter who you tell that to and in fact you have to actually tell that to the person who wants you to send you bitcoin or wants to send you an email so your bitcoin address is public it is something that is not secret okay So I think I get this. So basically for me to receive Bitcoin from someone, I need to have 
the equivalent of a bank account to give them, or in this case, an email address. So on our website, we've got an email address, contact us at this email address that is public, that's visible, anyone can email us. Same with Bitcoin wallet. It's a series of numbers and letters. You put it out there and someone can send or anyone can send Bitcoins to that address. It doesn't compromise you, your wallet in any way. It's a public address, which people can send to only. Yeah, absolutely. You're spot on. So I think an email address is a good analogy for that. Something public and it's not secret, something you actually want to share. Okay. So say I receive Bitcoins into my wallet. How do I access those? How do I spend them? How do I send them to someone else? So here's where we kind of diverge from the analogy of a wallet. It's really a key. And so you've got your email address, your username, your bank account, whatever you want to call it. That is your public Bitcoin address. But in order to be able to spend it, you need to have something that is called a private key. Another way you can think of it, and this is a gross oversimplification, is a password or a PIN. And that password or PIN happens to be fairly long and complicated and is certainly something that you couldn't remember. And that Bitcoin private key is actually generated by your wallet. And there are different kinds of wallets, and we'll go through that in a moment. But that's really the core feature of a Bitcoin wallet is to generate a private key and store those private keys. You know, you might have 20 or 100 or 50 in your Bitcoin wallet so you don't have to remember. So you can't actually spend Bitcoin just like you can't send an email from your email address without knowing that password or that private key. Okay. So this, yeah, gets us onto our second point here. What is a private key? Now, That's a great question. <laughs> yeah. So my understanding of this is like you just mentioned an ATM. So I've got my ATM card. If I lose that, someone picks it up, they can go find whichever bank it's linked to, put it in an ATM machine, but they need my PIN number. So mm-hmm. with a private key then, that is something for me to send Bitcoins out of my wallet, I would actually have to, same with an ATM card, know what my PIN number is. And that's what a private key is. And those private keys are stored in my Bitcoin wallet. And yeah, just like I wouldn't give anyone else my PIN number, I wouldn't give anyone else my private keys because then they can access um, my Bitcoins and send them to themselves or steal them in that way. Yeah, that's uh, 100% correct. You wouldn't give your banking password to someone else or your PIN, so why would you give something else? But um, your banking password, you may be able to remember that in your head, but a Bitcoin wallet address, a private key, you certainly can't remember. So that's what a Bitcoin wallet does quite conveniently in the background because you may have several Bitcoin addresses. Let's say you have 10 Bitcoin addresses. That means you need 10 private keys or passwords. um, And the Bitcoin wallets do that in the background automatically for you. So why would I want to have more than one Bitcoin address, more than one wallet address? You can have one wallet address, but best practices are you really don't use the same address twice, unless perhaps you're a nonprofit and you may create a Bitcoin address for donations and people want to be able to see on the blockchain how many donations you've received. 
But if apart from that use case, you probably don't want to, and even a merchant accepting Bitcoin, because everything's on the blockchain, because everything's public, you can see every single transaction going into that address, every single spend from that transaction, from that address going out of that address. And so you can see the balance actually fluctuate and how much money is in that address. The second reason why you might not want to do it is it's fairly easy to trace transactions through the blockchain. So as we know, the blockchain is public. It's a public ledger and anyone can see it. The difference between a blockchain transaction, a to and a from, and say an email, is that email addresses use something that is verifiable. So if I'm a normal Bitcoin transaction in email terms might be from Gordon at gmail.com to Faris at gmail.com, you know, subject line 0.1 BTC. Well, the Bitcoin, you don't know who the from the the from and the two are, but you can actually trace that through several transactions if you don't change your email address, your Bitcoin address. And that becomes pretty dangerous to your privacy if you are going in and out of exchanges. Someone may not be able to track the individual transaction, but they could certainly trace the source or the destination of that transaction if it ends up at a Bitcoin exchange or a hardware wallet or something that identifies you your Bitcoin address as a real world person. All right. So if I can summarize that, see if I've understood and I can um, articulate it. Essentially, you can actually have a new address for every single transaction coming out of your wallet. So it would be the equivalent of every time I send money from my bank account, getting a new bank account, which obviously is just an inconvenience and a hassle and will take a very long time to do. But on wallets, which we'll get into, at literally the press of the button, I can generate a new wallet, send and receive Bitcoins from a completely new address. Absolutely. Bitcoin addresses are free. Bitcoin addresses are unique and essentially infinite. So why wouldn't you do it? Especially due to the fact that a Bitcoin wallet software actually handles all that for you. So if you've done 100 transactions, you've probably got 100 Bitcoin addresses and 100 private keys to those addresses. But you don't really need to worry about individual Bitcoin addresses because your wallet sort of combines all of those together, the balance, the inputs and the outputs, and it handles all that stuff in the background. So there's absolutely no reason why you would want to use the same address twice. Some wallets actually regenerate a new address every time you use them by default. So you don't even have a choice to use the same address. They'll actually generate one for you. Yeah, and for people listening who haven't um, used Bitcoin wallets, it's one of those things where explaining it sounds just complex, intricate, and mind-blowing. When you use it, it is so simple. It's so simple yeah. once you use it. So, so, um, so, yeah, Gordon, this is yeah, one of those things where you know, we're figuring out how the sausage is made. And when people learn how to use a wallet, it's actually very simple. Um, and it seems way too simple. People are surprised the first time that they receive and send Bitcoins, how easy it is. But what's actually going on in the background? If I were to send Bitcoins from, say, a wallet on my smartphone to a one of your wallets, what's happening there between in that transaction? Yeah, so, I mean, sometimes you don't want to know what's actually in the sausage. But with Bitcoin, you do. And without oversimplifying an enormous amount of uh, computer science and cryptography, what a Bitcoin wallet actually enables you to do is send and receive Bitcoin. And that's basically it. 
And so, for example, if you went online and downloaded a wallet for your phone or your desktop, a wallet will really do two things for you. The first thing it will do is it will generate a private key. And so before you even want to send or receive funds, a wallet must have a private key as the first step. So step number one, your wallet will generate you a private key, which is a long string of numbers that is seemingly random. And then the second thing it'll do from that private key, it'll actually generate what is called public key or your Bitcoin address. And that's really important because that Bitcoin address is tied to the private key. So we go from private key to public key or Bitcoin address. There's no way to actually go backwards. So if someone knows your bank account or your email address or anything else, there's actually no way for them to know your password. So if someone knows my email address, gordon at gmail.com, they don't know my password. Same thing with Bitcoin. So once your Bitcoin wallet has generated your private key, you'll generate a public key. Every time you want to spend from that public key, assuming you've got funds in it, in it, it will then automatically, and you don't have to do it manually, use your private key to send Bitcoins from that address. And there's a lot that I've really uh, glossed over there. But that's basically all a Bitcoin wallet does, and it all does it automatically. It doesn't in the background. And that's why I kind of don't like the analogy of a normal wallet with cash in it, because with a Bitcoin, Bitcoin and wallet enables you to spend and receive, but it also manages and stores those private keys, that password for you. So it's sort of a cross between an email account with a password and a password manager, all that kind of stuff. It's all, so all combined that, all into one. Just one question there. So say I download a wallet from Blockstream who make a wallet. Now they're providing the private keys. Well, how do I know I can trust that wallet if the security is provided by a third party? Can't they see yeah, well, what's going on? Yeah, well, that's one of the things you have to be careful of. I mean, there could be a dodgy provider who provides a mobile phone wallet for iOS and Android, and you know they've got a backdoor into it so that you are generating legitimate uh, private keys and then Bitcoin addresses, but they've built a backdoor into it or there's, you know, your mobile phone contacts their servers every time you send a transaction, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, you do have to be careful about using new or untested or unreputable wallets because, yeah, definitely that could happen. And you should have a look at our newsletter for our recommendations for the various types of wallets. I was about to say, sounds like we need a business that's educating people on which wallets to use. If only coincompass.com existed. <laughs> All right. Okay, um, I'll ask you. I've talked too much. Cool. Okay, so after all that, we kind of know the inner workings, basically. But what kinds of wallets are there? What are the different kinds of Bitcoin wallets? With different types of Bitcoin wallets, and I want everyone to keep in mind the tech um, trade-off between security and convenience. Something's very convenient, is very quick, very easy to use. It's not usually very safe. Something's very, very safe, and it's not very convenient. Um, so if I were to walk around with, say, you know, $2,000 cash in my wallet, hey, I can use that, very convenient. But it's visible. I can lose it. I can easily get robbed. Not at all safe. If my wealth was tied up in gold bullion and is buried in the backyard somewhere, 
very, very safe, but not the least bit convenient. So keeping that in mind, um, some most popular wallets out there are wallets that you'll find on your mobile phone, on a smartphone. These are called um, mobile wallets. And I think there's another term as well, isn't it, Gordon? For mobile yeah, wallets. software wallets, hot wallets. So carry around on your phone. Now with these, um, you just need a pin to unlock it. So same as with if you have a banking app on your phone. You just have a four or six digit pin, you can unlock it, send and receive Bitcoins. Really, really convenient, not that safe. So they're the ones that you would use if you are actively using Bitcoin, sending them to friends, if you're a Bitcoin trader, um, you need quick access, you can do those. There's um, hot wallets, and these ones we do not recommend them at all. So a hot wallet is where you buy Bitcoin from exchange, and you're just leaving your Bitcoins with that exchange. So to access them, you gotta log into that exchange and then move them from there. So you don't even have ownership of those Bitcoins. The exchange does. So hot wallets, you don't have ownership of your Bitcoins. Mobile wallet, you do. They're on your phone. And then we move into cold storage, which is the equivalent of burying gold in your backyard. So, and this is the thing to remember, is you're not actually taking Bitcoins off of a blockchain. The Bitcoins remain on the blockchain. What you're taking away is that private key that allows control of the Bitcoins. That you're, you're putting into cold storage in that it's the equivalent of writing it down on a piece of paper and then burying that piece of paper in the backyard, putting it in a vault or committing it to memory. So not very convenient, but really safe because those private keys, that signature is inaccessible on the internet. And if I explain that well enough, Gordon, I'm sure some key points I'm missing in there from a tech point of view. No, that's actually pretty good. And uh, the only difference or the only addition that I would make is that a lot of people also, you mentioned a pin. A pin is usually for a mobile phone wallet and you could use your fingerprint reader or some of that. But that's not actually a pin or a password or a private key into your wallet. And that's a pretty big distinction. That's just stopping someone from unlocking your wallet. The, those wallets actually control the private keys and store the private keys for you. And, and that's why I don't like the word wallet because it sort of conveys a message of we're actually storing the Bitcoins in your wallet. So your point was really good in the wallets don't actually store Bitcoins. They store access, private keys, passwords to access to be able to spend your Bitcoins. So that's a, that's a yeah. perhaps a trivial point, but I think that's really important because the Bitcoins aren't actually stored anyway. You know, it's this abstract concept. It's kind of like, where is the internet? Where can I touch it sort of thing? Yeah, so with traditional banking and money, we're used to bank accounts and storing money somewhere. Even gold, you store it in a vault, you store it in the backyard, or with a bank account, you've got money in the bank. But with Bitcoin, you don't actually store it kind of anywhere. It's this abstract concept, and you've got access to it. And uh, when we generate Bitcoin dresses, for example, the blockchain doesn't care whether those the dresses are valid or invalid or how much money is in them or how much money is not in them or zero or not. So Bitcoin wallets are extremely important. And the only point that I would add to yours, there are many different kinds of wallets and we'll actually go through those in the next episode. And you're going to hear a lot of buzzwords like Faris mentioned cold storage and online wallets, hot wallets, paper wallets, metal wallets, blah, blah, blah. For me, there's really only two kinds of wallets, and that's custodial wallets. So those are wallets where a third party owns those keys. 
So a custodial wallet could be something like a Bitcoin exchange. So you leave your Bitcoins on exchange. You kind of have access to those Bitcoins, but you know, if the country, if the company went bankrupt or got hacked or stolen or, you know, a rogue employee decided that they wanted to steal the coins or there was an exit scam or something, you don't really own those coins because you don't really have access to them. If they're a reputable company, sure, they will allow you to sort of access your own coins. But those wallets tend to be online wallets and mobile wallets, software wallets. The other kind of wallet is a non-custodial wallet, which you may have guessed is a wallet that you control the private keys to. And most of those wallets, like a paper wallet or a metal wallet or a hardware wallet, they may be offered by a company, so you buy them, but you actually control the private keys on those devices. And as Faris said, there's a real trade-off between security and convenience. Hardware wallets, cold storage, is super inconvenient, but it's also the most secure. So the solution in terms of, you know, well, what's a good wallet to use? Of course, the answer is it depends, like most things, and it depends on many factors, which we may get into now. Um, yeah, so with that, um, when you were talking, I was just thinking the example of bear bonds. So someone who owns the bear bond, basically, sorry, is holding the bear bond, owns it. So it's the same thing with a Bitcoin private key. Whoever has access to it has access to it. Um, yeah. so for example, I recently bought Bitcoin for someone and I just need to give them their private key. They sent me money. I bought the Bitcoin for them, which is not what we're about. We want to teach people to do it for themselves, but um, nothing's stopping me from running away with those Bitcoins. Not what we do. I'm sending them to them, but ownership is 10 tenths of the law here. So with that, this is why, you know, the number one thing we teach people is don't leave your Bitcoins on an exchange. And so many times I've spoken, people say, oh, I bought some Bitcoin. I bought an altcoin. Where is it? So what do you mean? Where are your Bitcoins? What do you mean? I bought them. Yes, you bought them from where? Well, that person has them. You don't. You, all you did was buy Bitcoins and donate them to the exchange. So that's the number one thing we teach people is how to control and store your own private keys. Um, and yeah, one thing I do want to talk about is cold storage devices. And these we really like in that these are Ledger and Trezor make some, and there's some more coming out. Um, and these are a really good medium-term solution between a mobile wallet and cold storage, where you're basically just writing down um, the private key, which you know, if you do it on a piece of paper, it can get lost, it can burn. So a cold storage device are we here have tried and tested and it's actually what we recommend because they're very good to use you're getting your bitcoin private keys off of exchanges and if you lose them there are really good backup services and there's very good security behind them and for not just custodial but um um estate planning they're actually really good as well yeah, absolutely. I think we'll get into that in the next episode because there isn't a one-size-fits-all solution, but I think hardware wallets are probably the best trade-off in terms of convenience and security. But one thing we haven't mentioned, and we won't go down a rabbit hole, and it may be a podcast for another time, is privacy. So just because, for example, you get a hardware wallet, you're actually getting a lot better security. You may actually not be getting as good privacy so even if you've got a hardware wallet from manufacturer abc abc manufacturer still knows 
how much money is in your wallet, where you've sent the transactions. And every time you use your wallet, the hardware wallet, it's actually phoning home and using their services. And uh, so there is a lot of privacy leakage. So it isn't necessarily the best solution for everyone, but that is another question for another day. Yeah, so it comes down to what are you using your Bitcoins for? If you're using your Bitcoins on a daily, weekly basis, then you can see the convenience of a mobile wallet. If you're using them once or twice a year or have no intention of using them, then you're looking at cold storage devices. It is the equivalent of cash in your wallet versus gold buried in your backyard. So it's a user case basis. What are you using your Bitcoins for? Yeah, I couldn't, couldn't agree with you more. And there are other factors to consider. Like, for example, are you just going to buy Bitcoins and store Bitcoins? Or are you going to use altcoins? Because if you're using an altcoin wallet to only store Bitcoin, there is a bit of a security risk involved there with potential hacks of other altcoins. Um, the company that you're using, um, there may be some KYC, AML requirements with those. And um, how tech savvy are you? I mean, some of the wallets are actually quite secure. But if you're not that tech savvy, then you may actually be doing more harm than good. So, Gordon, best practices, what should I be doing here? Do I want to wrap my mobile phone in aluminium foil? <laughs> you mean you haven't done that already? <laughs> Um, so I think there's three things at play here. There's security, there is privacy, and then there's convenience. And there's not a single wallet or technology in that matter that is convenient, secure, and private. So they're all on a sliding scale, and it's a trade-off. Just like blockchains are a trade-off between speed and scalability, uh, Bitcoin wallets are a trade-off as well. So where are you willing to trade off? If you're willing to, if you're only storing 50 bucks, you don't really care too much about transactions being tracked, then you might not care. You have 50 bucks in an online wallet and you are sacrificing your privacy and security, but it's pretty convenient and you can't beat convenience of a whole wallet. And so everything is on a sliding scale. It's where it's really up to you as to where you want to compromise. Okay. Oh, if only there was a business that provided a uh, consulting service to help people out. Yes, coincompass.com <laughs> slash business. I hope you guys don't mind our shameless uh, self-promotion there, but if we don't do it, who will? <laughs> well, I don't mind. Right, thank you for listening, everyone. And please remember to give us a review and share this and subscribe. Thanks for watching or listening. Please visit coincompass.com slash free to register to our socials and discover other free content. Subscribing, liking, and following helps this content remain ad-free. Until next time.